Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Random story before we even jump in, I'm just going to share this because it's been in my heart. My little daughter is almost two, and as an almost two-year-old, she doesn't quite know how to talk, but she thinks she does. And so whenever we do something fun, she wants to do it again. She wants to do it again. If you're a parent, you know this, and so I'm first experiencing this. But she can't say again. She says, again, again. Like, if I jump her on the bed, again, I mean, we'll go for 10 minutes until my arms are going to fall off. If we take her outside, she wants to run to the train tracks and back, and she's just, again, again, again. And I was telling Jana, like, that's how God wants us to be with him. God, will you do this again? God, will you show up again? Will you fill me afresh again? Will you help me believe in you again, again? And this morning, even just going into this gathering, just praying that God would show up again. And already seeing, like, through our time, through scriptures, through uh, the band leading us, like, Spirit of God is showing up again, and he's doing something again. And even this morning, as we jump into our series on gospel realization, my prayer and our prayer is that Jesus would do it again. His Spirit would move again. So this morning, we are continuing our series on gospel realization. We're looking at what the gospel itself is, but then asking, how does the gospel actually speak into our everyday lives? You see, whether you've been a Christian for a really long time, whether you're a new Christian, whether you're not even a Christian, and you're just here with us on Sunday, we're really grateful you're here with us on Sunday. No matter where you're at, you've probably heard the word gospel, and we all have some idea of what that means. But is it biblical? Is it accurate? Or is gospel just some buzzword that gets attached onto anything maybe related to religion or Christianity? How many of us actually know how to trace the gospel to the everyday stuff of our life? Can you connect the dots of the gospel to your joys, to your sorrows, to your relationships, to your struggles? Many Christians specifically even struggle how to do this. Many Christians have been following Jesus for years, but if you said, how does the gospel speak into your suffering? How does the gospel speak into your conflict? How does the gospel speak into your money? You might get a blank stare. So that's why we want to continually come back to the fact of not just explaining what the gospel is, but why the gospel must be continually realized awakened again in our soul so that we see how it connects to every part of our life. This idea of realization or of awakening is something that we're really trying to do in this series that we're in right now. Pastor Scott started us these last two weeks, then we've got a couple more weeks of this in front of us. But we're talking about this idea of gospel realization, of continually being awakened again to the gospel. By way of example, illustration of what realization or awakening means, are there any coffee snobs out there? You can, it's fine, it's fine. I'm up here raising my hand. Oh, okay, a lot of fake humility going on. You know your coffee snobs. Also, for all of us though, think about 
the first time you drank good coffee and you realize that 7-Eleven is a lie. <laughs> Folgers is a sham. That is not good coffee. Except maybe when you're, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Again, obviously I'm, I'm joking, but like you realized you were awakened to like, wait a minute, there's really good coffee out there. And you might've been thinking Starbucks was good coffee at the time. So then think about the time when you even realized that Starbucks is a complete sham and that there's really good coffee out there. Your eyes are getting awakened. You're seeing, you're experiencing coffee in a whole new way. And then suddenly you realize there's all these coffee shops all around. I've never seen them before. Obviously, this is a silly example, but you get the point. Something that you had no idea was a reality, suddenly now you are seeing it everywhere you go. And if you're not a coffee person or if 7-Eleven is your jam, you are still welcomed here, and we do still love you. But I promise you, the world is a lot better. <laughs> There's a lot better coffee out there. We'll talk after. And again, I know this is a silly example, but the thing with the gospel is when we truly begin to realize it and see it implanted deeper and deeper in our souls, we don't say, oh, that's cool, or oh, wow, that's neat. No, when you see the gospel getting implanted in your life, you say, oh, this changes everything, everything. And for many Christians, we often can think, oh, well, I know this. I know the gospel. I've heard this gospel realization stuff for the last 10 years. I want to caution us and say that that's potentially one of the most dangerous places you could be of assuming that you know, assuming that you've heard the gospel enough. Because friends, the life of following Jesus is seeing the gospel implanted deeper and deeper into our souls. So, so far in this series, which if you've missed the last two sermons, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to them. Pastor Scott has looked at defining what the gospel actually is in the scriptures. Last week we saw the story of the gospel, actually the, the overarching meta-narrative of the scriptures that Jesus shows up into and then calls us to live out our place in. But this morning, what I want us to see is that we cannot move to the gospel speaking into our life unless we first know how to do business and understand with our own human hearts, our own affections, our own loves. So let me pray for us, and then we're gonna jump into looking at some scriptures. Jesus, we do ask this morning that you would do it again, that you would speak to our hearts again, that you would awaken our love for you again. God, I pray for every man, woman, child here, Jesus, that we would know in our souls, that we would hear in our minds the truth of who you are, Jesus, but that we wouldn't stay there, but we would then connect that to our life, connect that to what we love, connect that to every aspect of who we are. And so, Jesus, we need your help to awaken us to this today. I pray for help even as I try to communicate. I pray that you would just give us even attentive minds, that you would, by uh, your own supernatural power, Jesus, allow us to silence the many voices and other things that are screaming for our attention right now, that you would help us to listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
quick overview of the scriptures would show that the human heart is the true center of who we are. We're going to look at some scriptures very briefly. The scriptures are very clear that the human heart is what we could call the control center of who we are. When the scriptures say heart, they're not just saying the muscle pumping blood. That's not what the scriptures mean by heart. The scripture is referring to our affections, to our loves, to our deepest longings and desires. That is your heart. Look at these examples of what the scriptures, how they describe the heart. The heart loves, Matthew 22. The heart deceives. The heart sets up idols and takes down idols. The heart laments. The heart is what rejoices. The heart speaks. The heart forgives. The heart gives thanks. Our human heart is everything we think, feel, drives what we do. And here at Redemption, I already said this, we say it's the control center of who you are. Your human heart is the control center driving what you do. I heard Scott one time say that if it's not your heart driving what you do and you're just doing things, you might actually just be insane because you are always doing things out of what you love, out of what you fear, out of what you want most in life. And interestingly, Jesus has a lot to say about the heart as the controlling center of who we are. You can turn to Luke 6. He shows that good hearts produce righteousness. Evil hearts produce injustice, anger, fear. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 6, 43 to 45. No good tree will bear bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For fig trees are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, all the evil we commit is coming from our heart. And likewise, all the good that we are able to do is also coming from our heart. That that means that when you are angry, when you are jealous, when you are greedy, the problem's not out there. The problem's in here. The problem is your heart. I recently started uh, a new part-time job, so I work at Redemption Church, but then two days days a week, I work part-time as a route driver, and when I started this job, there were, there were a couple things that I thought I just didn't like. Oh, it's really long, it's hard, these hours, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm realizing, like, the job's not the problem. The job is exposing Nate's heart. The job is exposing my deep love of comfort, my deep love of things going according to plan, my deep love of, I don't want to be the new guy and have to learn this for months. I want to get this right now. And when it's taking me hours longer than the other guys, I am raging. If you want stories, you can ask Jana. She's been very patient with me. What I'm realizing is the job's not the problem. The problem is that Nate loves his plans, his timeline, and wants things to go his way. 
the job's not the problem, it's Nate's heart. That's at the center. It's taken me weeks to, re- I mean, months at this point into this job to be like, oh, maybe it's not the job. So in your life, your biggest problems, are they out there? Or is it inside your deepest longings, your deepest wishes? You might be tempted to immediately defend yourself, which is normal. But this is, friends, where the power of the gospel comes in to help us see, no, no, the problem actually might be you, which takes humility, which takes humility from the gospel to admit, yes, I think my heart is the problem here. I think maybe the biggest problem in my marriage is not my spouse. Maybe it is me. I think maybe my boss is not the problem. Maybe it is my own desire for things to go my way. This morning, we're going to examine how our heart how our loves are actually formed, and how our deepest faith commitments are formed. And because only then can we actually see how the gospel comes in and speaks to those things. So what, we're, what I want us to land at today is asking, what do you really have faith in? You're going to see that in where your deepest heart commitments are formed. So let's ask this first question. How are our hearts, our loves, actually formed? You don't just wake up and know what to, what to think, what to do. Like, you're born into these things. Where do you learn what you love? Where do you learn what you hate? There are many ways to discern this, but one simple way is to examine your story, your rhythms, and your community. These are the things that shape what we love, and we're going to unpack each of these. Let's look first off at our story. Your story the story you are living in, how you are viewing the world, how you're viewing what is important, who you think you are in the grand scheme of things, that's shaping what you love. That's shaping your affections. And each of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we are living in the American story. We are like fish in water and we're not even aware of what we are breathing in. We live in a world, you live in a world, I live in a world where our individual consumption of resources, protection and preeminence of our family, our finances, that's the goal. The pursuit of our best interest, we are number one. This is the leading driver. We're all doing this because this is what the American story is telling us. So if anyone wants to push into your life or into your agenda, which would include Jesus, you'd have to say, well, wait a minute. How does this benefit me? We often use the word consumerism here at Redemption, which I would also add on to that. We are incredibly pragmatic. Our pragmatism being driven by the American story is what drives the day. So like, why would I go hang out in a missional community or why would I go care for a neighbor when it's ultimately not really going to benefit me? It's pragmatism. It might not benefit you. It might not adjust your bottom line at all. So do you see how there's a story driving us there? Our story is, again, I'm, you probably know this. Our story is always being bombarded to us through media, through our shows, through our music, through our politicians who are telling us who to love, who to hate, who the real enemy is. And again, let's, let's be honest. We often think, oh, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Those things don't affect me. 
Friends, those things are filling our minds more than we know. That story is shaping us, telling us what we love. So we all are being shaped by some kind of story. Are you aware of that? A second formational reality is our rhythms. Our rhythms. What activities do you live your life by? Your story dictates your rhythms. Your story will tell you, here's what you should be doing in your life. Rhythms, our set, regular, scheduled, anticipated things that we do week in, week out. These are what are shaping what we love. What we do for work, how we celebrate, how we play, how we rest, how we gather with people. So think about your own life. I mean, even just do a little inventory right now. What are your main rhythms? What do you spend your time mostly doing throughout the week? What do you think that says about what you love? Our rhythms are actually our liturgies. It's the course of what's making up our life. Our rhythms are showing us our heart, showing us what we love most. I made a list here, and I'm realizing, yeah, this is, this, is, this is my rhythms. So there's a lot of us probably have to work. Netflix, always wanting rest, wanting time for me and my hobbies, sleep, wanting to work out, wanting to eat. These are all good things. But something's driving these. These rhythms are producing certain loves innate. What are your rhythms? How are they shaping what you love? The last formational shaper of your loves is your community. The group of people that you are regularly putting yourself in life with. We all seek community. We all seek people who will tolerate us, who will love us, who will accept us. Hopefully good times and bads. For some people, we are always drawn to the same community and we want to be here because these are the people who know us best and we don't want to move on. And then other people, they're always bouncing around from friend group to friend group, almost as if as soon as someone gets close to me, probably could hurt me, maybe I hurt them, I'm going to leave and find a new community. Often we land on one or the other. But our community, who we're spending life with, is shaping what we love. And again, this longing for people, for community, this is good. This is showing that we were created with belonging. God made us this way. But do you see how the people, the community you're with is actually going to shape what you love, what you prioritize, where your money goes, where your time goes? You want to know what you love? Who do you spend time with? There you're going to find out what you love. So to summarize this concept of how our loves are formed in this little triangle, think about it this way. We're all living out a story with a group of people who engage in the same rhythms as us. This is how we figure out what we love. This is how we discern what do I truly love. So if these are the three shapers of our loves, obviously there's probably other things we could add to that. But now I want us to ask this question, Why is this the way our hearts are designed? Think about that. Why? Why is that the way our hearts operate? Why do we always have to have something that we love, something that we're pursuing, something that gives us meaning and purpose? Why why is that? 
Quite simply, it is because we were designed for worship. Because we were designed to have what we call here at Redemption, an ultimate faith commitment. Every human being is on the hunt for an ultimate faith commitment. This is because God has designed us. He's hardwired us as image bearers to look for something to worship, to look for something to give our allegiance to. Friends, this is what we call faith. This is what we call faith. And what's interesting, whether you are a Christian, a Muslim, an atheist, an agnostic, a Buddhist, you have faith. You are putting your ultimate faith allegiance in something to save you, to rescue you, to shape your heart, to give you what you think is most important. You are worshiping something. And you might think, oh, well, faith and worship, those are just religious terms. No, they are not. They are humanity terms. We all are doing this. For some people, it's the significant other or the quest to find one. If you could just get someone to love you, accept you, then you'd find healing. Then you'd find significance. You are putting your faith your ultimate faith commitment in a relationship to be your savior. Or if it's maybe already in a relationship, if it could just change, if my marriage could change, if my boyfriend or girlfriend would do this, then, then rescue could happen. Then it would be okay. For others, it's our quest for power or control or with my story about my job, it's my quest for comfort. For some, it's you just want your family to love or accept you. Being loved by others, being viewed as strong or worthy, your faith commitment is how people perceive you. Maybe you just want your kids to obey you, and that's your deepest commitment. For others, our career, our bank account. Do do you see what this means? This means that faith is not some mystical, oh, I... Transcendentally, I have faith in God. No, that is not what faith is about. Faith is asking, where am I putting my rest, my confidence, my assurance in life? That's what faith is. So what are you putting your faith in? Again, this is what all human beings do. We are always putting our faith in something and looking for something to rescue us something to give us meaning, worth, purpose. And again, we're doing this all the time. We are always worshiping. Again, worship is one of those terms that's not just a religious term. No. When you get angry, you're worshiping. When you overwork, you're worshiping. When you snap at someone, when you're afraid, when you get anxious, you're worshiping. This need for salvation, this need for something to be giving us meaning. Again, this is hardwired. And and we know this because if you were here last week, the story shows us that. The story that we heard last week, the meta-narrative of the scriptures shows us that in our humanity, we know we have lack. We have shame. We are insufficient 
We have nakedness. We need something to cover us. So we look to our job to give us an identity. We look to how much money we have or don't have and make that the litmus test of our covering because we know we're just standing there naked and exposed. We have nothing in us that's worthy. So we look to things to give us rescue, to give us salvation. So that's why faith, worship, the heart, they're all linked together in the scriptures. And every human heart, I can't emphasize this enough, every human heart is wired this way. Everybody in the world is doing this. Just begin to think about, hopefully, your own life first, and then your family, people around you. What do you see people living for? What are they worshiping? What are they willing to lay on the altar of sacrifice to have? Again, we all know the stories of the hardworking dad who's trying to rise the corporate ladder, and he just sacrifices his family so that he can get an identity. We all know the story of the mom who's working so hard to make everything in her life perfect, and then her kids either rebel or maybe die or something happens, and then her life is over because she was worshiping her children. She was looking for them to give her the meaning and acceptance that she is craving so deeply. And that's why in the New Testament, we read that we are saved by the gospel through faith, by grace, and not by works. We're not saved because of what we do or don't do. We're saved by where we're putting our faith commitment, where we're putting our faith allegiance. In the New Testament, we read people like the Apostle Paul who say to all these different churches, all these different people trying to figure out their life and their rhythms and their community, He's saying to them, formerly you found meaning and purpose in this community, in these rhythms, in this story. But now, transfer your allegiance to Jesus and his story. He's not telling them, conjure up faith. He's telling them, shift your faith. Take it from one thing and put it in another. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Like, we often just think, oh, have faith in Jesus, oh, some mystical pray, try harder. No, you're already putting your faith in something. Put it in Jesus and in who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. It's this transfer of faith towards one who can truly rescue, to one who can truly deliver. So this reality of the gospel that we put our trust, our heart, our love, our allegiance in ultimately in the gospel, we're putting it in someone. We're not putting it in a system. We're not putting it in this Christian religion system. You're putting your deepest commitment and allegiance into a person who, as our song earlier said, knows me best and loves me most. That's what we're putting our faith in. Next week, we are going to be looking at the power of the gospel, how the gospel is actually a power that comes in and changes us. But today, I've really just wanted us to see that we can't move on to seeing how the gospel changes us until we first understand the nature of our hearts. So we're going to close in just a minute. 
But as we go to close, I want to encourage us all, both this week and going forward, that you must consistently be doing business with your heart. You must be paying attention to your emotions, to what they are telling you, to what is coming out, to what is coming out of your mouth, to co- what is coming out of, through your emotions. This means your anger, your fear, your sadness, your depression. It's not just an emotion that you need to get over. No. Those things are telling you something. They're telling you where you need rescue. They're telling you what you're looking to for rescue. So pay attention to your heart, church, this week. Recognize, okay, I'm really anxious today. What's happening? What story's shaping that? Again, don't just automatically go to like resolution. Okay, how can I fix this right away? No. Are you sad? What's making you sad? Are you super angry? What do you think is driving that? What's underneath that? What do you think needs to change so that you won't be angry anymore? And for some of us, it's just, I'm just angry that I have to do this right now. For me, it's, I was just angry that I have to get up early and go and be gone for a really long day. I just don't want to do that. Okay, why? Do you think you're missing out? Do you think you're not getting ahead enough? Do you think you could be smarter and doing something different? Again, it's, it's all coming back to the heart, something that's driving that. So church, this week, pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your emotions. And Do you want to know how to best figure out what's coming out of your life? I mean, definitely ask the Spirit. You know who the Spirit's probably going to speak through? People who know you. Scott asked this question like a year ago in a sermon, and I still remember it. He said, ask the people who know you best, how do you experience me? What is it like to encounter me? What do you experience? So who are the people who know you best? Kids, spouse, Friends, missional communities, even coworkers, neighbors, if you have that kind of relationship, how do you experience me? Encourage them to be honest, but then also be ready, because they might be honest. Might rock you, and trust me, you will be okay. But you might actually get your eyes open this week. Ask, what are you seeing, what are you observing in my life? And again, we want to always be drawing back to what story is this showing me in? How is this shaping me? What am I actually seeing that I really love? And again, even as we go to land and we're going to sing some songs in just a second about Jesus being better than all the things we give our heart to, I would encourage you also in this heart work to resist the lies of the evil one. None of this is in my notes, by the way. I'm just recognizing this like as you seek to do business with your heart the evil one will be right there to accuse to malign to slander to bring you down and keep you down but the reality of the gospel is i see how weak and broken i am oh my goodness i didn't even know it was this bad oh my goodness and jesus loves me and wants to change me wants to give me power to grow. Okay, Satan, I reject you and your lies. Jesus, you know me and you love me and you want to change me. 
to be a participant in your mission. This, this is incredible. The gospel is the exact opposite of that. So as you do business with your heart, as you pay attention to your heart, as you pay attention to your emotions, realize that repentance and faith in the gospel doesn't just mean, oh, I prayed a prayer and I repented. No, repentance and faith in the gospel is what we do every day of our Christian life. It is the ongoing work of turning to Jesus again and again. So let's pray, and the band can come up now. Jesus, we do ask that even as we've just taken a couple minutes to look at the nature of our hearts, I ask, Spirit, even this week for our people here at Redemption that you would give us courage to actually examine our life. You would give us humility to ask people. And then that you would give us an ever deeper faith commitment to you, Jesus, to your story. Would you show us where our community, our rhythms, our story are actually shaping our loves, Jesus. I pray that this would not just be a theoretical in the clouds type sermon, but that you'd help us connect these truths of our heart and our loves and our affections to our life. And again, Jesus, we, we ask this so that we can be participants in your story, so that we can pick up our role and play out our part in the story here in Hampton Roads, Jesus. So Jesus, even as we turn to sing now, would you give us hearts of faith, full of rejoicing at the good things that you are doing in us. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.